All right. <laughs> Have you guys met Jeremy's buddy, Robert, back here? Some of you? <laughs> Hi, Robert. Well, Robert hasn't been with us. Yeah, it's really loud for our study. And let's just go out on a limb here. Let's assume that Robert doesn't know anything about the covenants that we've been studying. Let's give him a little bit of a review. Who can help him understand some of the things? You don't have to pretend. Yeah. <laughs> Robert actually went to Bible school with Jeremy, so he presumably knows these things. But what are some things that we've been learning about the, the covenant so far? There's only one of them that's going to be perpetual. Okay. What do you mean? <laughs> I don't know, just kind of threw that out there. Um, Are you talking about there's only one that's going to end? Yeah, there's only one that gets replaced. Yes. Only one that gets replaced. Yeah. Yep. Sorry. Okay, good. And which one would that be? <laughs> that would be the mosaic, right? Yes. Good. All right, what else have we learned so far? What covenants have we gone over, uh, starting with the Abrahamic covenant? Somebody tell me one or two things about the Abrahamic covenant. How would you summarize it? Why is it important? The descendants in line would be like the seashores and the sand, the land would be. Okay, good. And and blessing. Good job. Sandra's got your back. She good. She's back there. Yeah. <laughs> good. All right. And the Davidic covenant. What is the Davidic covenant? What are some things we learned about it? Named after David. Good. Named after David. We're we're going places. <laughs> what else? Yes, indeed. And is, is Jesus our king now, or do we have to wait until the future for him to be our king? He's now. now. Yes, he is king now, right? And yet, in a new respect, he will establish his kingdom here on earth in the future. It will be a real, literal, physical kingdom here on earth, and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So... Uh, he is our king now, and yet he will establish his kingdom here on earth in the future. What about the new covenant? We spent the last three or four weeks, I guess, going over the new covenant. What are some things we've learned about it? For all peoples. What do you mean by that? I mean, it's not like the Old Testament covenants where... It is only for the nation of Israel. It's for Gentiles. Like this? Sorry, again, Mike? Yes, that's very important. It includes a promise of salvation. So the other covenants, they, they're important, but they don't include that aspect. They have land, seed, and uh, rule, and dominion, yet not salvation. And yeah, we'll explicitly get into what Andy was talking about tonight, that the Gentiles are included in that new covenant. Uh, let's go back and let's look at uh, where we originally see the new covenant, read about the new covenant in Jeremiah 31. I've written the passages up here for the new covenant. Uh, the main passages, there are several, but 
some that we've looked at so far, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, we'll look at that momentarily. Ezekiel 11, 17 through 21, and then Ezekiel 36, 22 through 29. Those are good places to go for the new covenant. Uh, the passages we looked at last week in Ezekiel talked about God taking a, the, the heart of stone and replacing it with the heart of flesh. So Jeremiah 31, and can I get somebody to read for us? 31 through 34, please. Who's got that for us? You guys are quiet tonight. I put all these verses up here on the board because I'm going to need help tonight. I'm having a hard time breathing. So, all right. Rex is going to do all these, he said. So, <laughs> All right, Jeremiah 31. Are you ready? Yep. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write in it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. <laughs> she still got your back. Good job, guys. <laughs> All right. Um, so, who is this covenant originally given to? Israel. Yep. You guys have a tendency to look up here when I ask you a question. The answer is typically down in the text. So, good job. Israel. It says, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And then he goes on to contrast it against what covenant? The old covenant. The old covenant. Good. You guys are looking down. We're, we're making progress. That's good. <laughs> so, yes, he contrasts it with the old covenant. He says, it's not like that covenant that I made with uh, your fathers in Egypt. Um, what was unique about that covenant, Andy? The Mosaic covenant that you just brought up a little while ago? Yes. It ends, right? It ceases. This covenant is, yes, this covenant is eternal. And um, look down at verse 34. Verse 34 is great because it talks about how very personal this covenant is. It says, they will not teach again each man his neighbor, each man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So this is for every man. It's not just for the religious elite, right? It's not something that's just for uh, the, the people who can climb up to some ladder and achieve some kind of spiritual greatness. This is for everybody. Um, it's a very personal covenant that is for initially for Israel and then uh, the churches grafted in. Uh, three different aspects of this covenant, three different things that the new covenant provides for us. Um, again, originally for Israel, but we are a part of this covenant as well. 
uh, provides spiritual transformation that God says he will provide a new heart, a new mind. Uh, forgiveness of sins. Mike, as you pointed out, this is a new thing. This isn't something that is included in any of the other covenants. And then the third one, one that is often for, forgotten or ignored by many, especially within the, the covenant theology circles, is the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. Those promises aren't forgotten. They're not superseded in some way. God made those promises with Israel uh, that are included in the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and he intends to fulfill those promises. Uh, he will fulfill those promises. In fact, his uh, very character and nature, his honesty, his veracity, depends on the fact that he will fulfill those promises that he made to Israel. Well, tonight I want to look at four different uh, aspects of the new covenant. Uh, we're going to look at the mediator of the new covenant. That's where we'll probably spend the bulk of our time. We'll look at the institution or the inauguration of the new covenant, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is central to this covenant, and then ministers of the new covenant, speaking about you and me and how we are uh, included in this covenant. We are not only included, but we're given this ministry of reconciliation in the new covenant. So, again, I need your guys' help tonight. So, be looking up here and uh, maybe jump forward a little bit and help me out. Be ready to, to read some passages out loud. I think with these first couple, we're going to skip over Exodus 20 because it essentially says the same thing in Deuteronomy 5, just a little bit of greater, greater detail. And then we'll also skip over Acts 3 because Deuteronomy 18 says essentially the same thing, just a little bit more succinctly. So could I get somebody to look up those two passages for us, please? Deuteronomy 5, and then Deuteronomy 18 after that. Who's got those? Thanks, Sandra. Yes, please. Yep. Yeah, we'll, we'll bounce around a little bit. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to, to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you are afraid because of the fire. You did not go up the mountain. He said. All right, before you move forward a little bit, I should give some, some context. This is Moses talking, and this is um, where we see Moses being um, kind of taking on the role of a mediator. What is a, a mediator? Someone who is in between conflicts. Okay, good. Yeah, somebody who stands between a, a go between for these two different parties. All right, good. Sorry, interrupted you, Sandra. Go ahead. All right, 22 through 27. Uh-huh. These words Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. So it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire. They came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire, as we have and lived? 
You go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say, and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear and do it. All right, thank you. So here is uh, God is delivering the law to Israel as he's giving them the, the Ten Commandments. We see Moses himself standing as a, a mediator between, verse 5 says, I was standing between the Lord and you at that time. He was acting as that mediator, that go-between, to stand before the people. And then later on, verses 22 through 27, we see that uh, they were actually very thankful for this. They were pleading with Moses. They had a... Uh, fear of God. They didn't want to have this direct communication with God. They told Moses, no, you go. You could, you do it. You be the one who talks to God. We don't want to do that. So in some respect, they had a, a, a good fear of the Lord. They realized that he was powerful, that he was holy and set apart. Uh, but I think a lot of that really played into their own uh, personal insufficiency too, which is a good thing to, to recognize as well. But uh, they asked Moses to stand before them to act as his mediator in this first covenant. And then uh, Moses himself later on, just a few chapters later, that um, somebody, I think, is going to read for us. Uh, Moses anticipates another mediator. Who's got that in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15? I got it. Oh. Uh. You're cheating. You're already there. <laughs> I got it means. You shall surely set a king over you, whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your countrymen, you shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. Uh, maybe I gave you the wrong passage. The Lord your God will raise up another prophet like me from your midst, from your brother. Him you shall hear. I got everybody's back too. Yeah. <laughs> Sandra's got everybody's back tonight. Thank you, Sandra. <laughs> oh, man. That explains it. All right. So, Moses himself, uh, who during this time, I mean, he was the man, right? He was the one that Israel said, No, you be the mediator. You stand up for us. Uh, he was uh, like the Israelite. He was. The, the man in Israel. And he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. So Moses is looking forward to Jesus, who is the great, the greater mediator, the great prophet uh, Jesus uh, being pointed to by Moses. He even here back in the, the Old Testament. We have a, a couple other uh, Old Testament uh, prophecies looking forward to this coming mediator in Isaiah. Um, Rex, you said you have that first Isaiah passage in 42. All right, yes, please. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their, <clears throat> put their hold. This is what God the Lord I'm sorry, this is what God the Lord says. 
He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to the people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have, walked, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes to the, <clears throat> that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. This is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. All right. <clears throat> so one thing that Isaiah does, and this can get a little bit confusing, uh, Isaiah kind of mixes together different time periods quite a bit. He'll mix together um, the the kingdom and the eternal state, and he'll mix together Christ's first coming and second coming, and he doesn't always make clear distinctions or differentiations between uh, when he is speaking about. And so some of these things that he's talking about are still yet to come when Jesus is going to... Uh, you didn't catch it. This is talking about Jesus, right? Verse 3, that he will faithfully bring forth justice, that uh, he will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. Uh, you just have to turn on the, the evening news. And you can see that that's not happened yet, right? So this is still looking toward the future. And yet, uh, Jesus has come and he is acting as a mediator. He has begun to open up blind, blind eyes and to bring prisoners out from the dungeons. Uh, he has uh, returned with the Father to glory, right? This glory that the Father says that he will share with nobody else. So we have Isaiah looking forward to uh, both his first and his second coming. Uh, we see kind of both mixed in there together. And then uh, chapter 49, we grab those verses, please, Rex. Yeah, 49? Yes, please, five, five through eight. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb, and now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. And I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see and bow down. Because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. All right, and then the last verse there says, Thus says the Lord, In a favorable time I have answered you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you, and I will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people to restore the land to make them inherit the desolate heritages. So there we see this third aspect, right? The fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. But this is a, an awesome passage because God at this point is... Uh, kind of expanding the the scope of this new covenant promise. He says, well, it's, it's just too small a thing for me to only do this for Israel, uh, which is a great, amazing thing for God to fulfill his promise to do these awesome things to Israel. But he says, no, that's, that's too little a thing for how big and great and glorious a God I am. 
I'm also going to uh, raise up the tribes of Jacob to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I also will make you a light of the nation so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So uh, we do see in uh, Ephesians 3 that it's a, a mystery. The church is a mystery. The fact that uh, God has established his church and brought salvation to the Gentiles in uh, such a mysterious way. But we get glimpses of the Old Testament. And here is one of the, the brightest glimpses of the fact that uh, God has a, a plan for the, the nations to include uh, you and I as Gentiles in his plan of redemption in this new covenant uh, promise that he has made initially to Israel. <laughs> Any thoughts or questions on any of those Isaiah passages? All right, we got another, I think this is our last Old Testament passage. Let's turn together to Malachi chapter 3, talking about the purifier. Malachi 3. If somebody else isn't already there, I can grab that one. I'm there. All right, uh, go ahead, Logan. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and you will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. All right, thank you. So here we see uh, Jesus coming in his ministry, in his work as a, a purifier. In the Old Testament, who was it that would uh, do that, that would stand before and act as a mediator to purify the, the people of Israel? The priest. The priest, right? And for those of you guys who are in uh, the Theology 101 Sunday School class, you guys have been going through this, through Jesus' different ministries, right? As prophet, priest, and king. And we get a, an awesome picture of that here, that he will set, sit as a smelter, and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them. Uh, he's going to take on that that role of priest, that role of mediator, to uh, offer this spiritual transformation, this spiritual uh, or this forgiveness of sins. Uh, that's something that Jesus does in the new covenant. And now let's turn forward to the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews is so rich and uh, focuses so much on uh, all, really all these covenants, but especially on the, the new covenant. So Hebrews chapter 3, and I'll go ahead and get verses 3 through 6. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence 
and the most of our hope firm until the end. All right, so we looked at how Moses was the mediator of Israel, right? He's the one who stood in between the people and God. We looked at these prophecies in Isaiah and Malachi, uh, even from the mouth of Moses himself in Deuteronomy 18.15, saying there's going to be one who's coming. You need to look for him. He's the one who's really going to shake things up. He's the one who's really going to do things. He's going to be the purifier, Malachi says. And here in Hebrews, uh, all throughout Hebrews, the author is pointing out the fact that Jesus is better, right? He's better than uh, the angels. He's better than Moses, better than Abraham, better than... uh, Aaron, all these people that he's better than. And here in this chapter, he's pointing out specifically that he is counted worthy of more glory than Moses. It says in verse 5, Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house. Jesus is this better mediator. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is coming on the scene. He is the one who is going to uh, be a, a mediator between the uh for this new covenant, whereas Moses was the mediator for the, the old covenant. Any thoughts or questions at this point? You see in that connection between Moses and Jesus and the superiority of Jesus over a superior covenant? All right, I want to read this excerpt for you out of the, the Pilgrim's Progress that kind of reiterates this, this fact that Jesus is superior to Moses, that the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. Um, and this is a, a dialogue taking place between the two main characters, faithful, talking to Christian. He says, But good brother, hear me out. So, so soon as the man overtook me, it was but a word and a blow, for down he knocked me and laid me for dead. But when I was a little come to myself again, I asked him, wherefore he served me so. <laughs> wherefore he served me so. So he's saying, bro, you got a problem? What, why are you hitting me, right? <laughs> he said, because of my secret inclining to Adam the first. And with that, he struck me another deadly blow on the breast and beat me down backward. So I lay at his foot as dead as before. So when I came to myself again, I cried him mercy. But he said, I know not how to show mercy. And with that, he knocked me down again. He had doubtless made an end of me, but that one come by and bid him forbear. This is Christian talking back to Faithful. He says, who was that that bid him forbear? Faithful. I did not know him at first, but as I went by, I perceived the holes in his hands and in his side. Then I concluded that he was our Lord, so I went up to the hill. Christian, that man that overtook you was Moses. He spareth none. Neither knoweth he how to shew mercy to those that transgress the law. So if you haven't read the Pilgrim's Progress, it's a good book, and it just kind of personifies these different uh, aspects of the Christian gospel and tells a story. And so in this story, uh, Faithful gets pushed down just over and over again by Moses, uh, just beat up on poor dude. Um, It said... Um, that he he delivered an, another deadly blow to him and just knocked him down. He asked for mercy and he says, I, I don't know how to show mercy. He is picturing the, the old covenant, which has no place for mercy. It's law, right? The old covenant law, the Mosaic law. And then Jesus comes by and uh, shows him mercy. He bid him forbear. He told Moses 
the law. Uh, no, it's, it's time for grace, time for mercy, right? And we see that in this passage in Hebrews 3, that Christ is superior to Moses. Well, let's turn forward in Hebrews a little bit. In Hebrews chapter 8, deals specifically with the new covenant. So Hebrews 8, I didn't put that one up on the board. I must have set up. Um, I'll go ahead and I'll read verse 6 through 13, addressing the new covenant. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. Again, talking about how Jesus is better, right? Not just a ministry, a more excellent ministry than Moses, who was talked about before the old covenant. By as much as he is also uh, the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and led them up out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their heart, and I will write them on their heart. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's this first aspect again, right? Spiritual transformation. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said, A new covenant... He has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. So again, the the old covenant. What was what was wrong with the old covenant? What was the the problem with the first covenant? Yeah, nobody can keep it. Why can't anybody keep the the old covenant? Yeah, sin, right? It's uh, man's problem. Man is the problem with the old covenant. Um, he has found fault with with man. The old covenant focuses on externals, on what we can do, what we can perform, and that's why the new covenant has to uh, affect the heart. God has to affect our heart in the new covenant. He has to take that heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And the Holy Spirit actually takes up residence within us because we are incapable and unable in ourselves to, uh, to please God, to do anything that can please God. And again, the, the old covenant law, the Mosaic law, was unconditional. And Israel breached this, this contract, this covenant that God had made with them. And God, in his graciousness, he decided, well, I'm going to give them a second covenant. Not, oh, that's it. That, I'm done with people, right? Uh, but he comes along and he gives this new covenant, this better covenant. That is so unlike you and me. That's so unlike mankind to give people a, a second opportunity. Uh, you think about somebody who's in some kind of contractual agreement, some rental agreement. Uh, you see stories all the time about people who will 
rent a house from somebody and they'll just trash it and leave a, a huge mess. And that person isn't likely to turn around and say, okay, well, you, you can come back in here and I'll sign a new contract with you. I'll give you a different lease with this other property that I have. Or if you have a, a bad experience with some kind of uh, cell phone provider, you get charged all kinds of fees or, or fines, you're not gonna go back to them again. But God, again, his graciousness and his faithfulness, he doesn't give up on Israel. Again, he returns to Israel. He says, okay, well, I'm gonna give you this, this better covenant. Um, uh, this more excellent ministry, as verse six says, that Jesus is also a mediator of this better covenant. And then down again in verse 13, this new covenant, because he has made the first obsolete, it is growing old and it is ready to disappear. Jesus is the, the mediator of this new and better covenant. Any thoughts or questions on Jesus being mediator of this covenant? All right, well, let's move on and look at the, the institution of this new covenant, how this new covenant is brought about and inaugurated. In Luke twenty two twenty, 20, a very familiar passage that we should be uh, familiar with by now, we go over it often. It says that in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We see that same thing over here in 1 Corinthians 11.25, that the new covenant is established or inaugurated in the blood of Christ, that it is his death that makes this covenant possible and, and brings this covenant about for his people. We see the, the same thing in uh, Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9.15 through 22. That's a little bit of a, a bigger passage. Uh, but well, that's okay. You guys are good. Anybody able to grab that? Thanks for me. Hebrews 9, what are the verses? 15, yeah. yeah. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the will who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only in death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. Sorry, 22? Yes, please. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both of the tent and all the vessels under used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. All right. Such an important last line right there without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sins uh that's how the the first the old covenant was established and inaugurated that's how the the new covenant had to be established and inaugurated uh we don't believe that jesus could just you know turn around and proclaim you're righteous you are clean right it took a, a penalty it took a payment it had to be established in the the blood the blood of his covenant which is uh superior to the Old Testament covenant. Um, 
that's in the next passage. I'll go ahead and uh, skip over that First Corinthians 10 passage for now. It's just talking about how we are uh, together united with Christ. How this is a covenant that we are included in, that we take part in, we share in this new covenant with Christ. And, uh, we also see there that he's speaking to the church as being distinct from Israel. But in this next chapter, um, he continues to talk about this uh, covenant and the superior nature of it. I'll go ahead and pick up in Hebrews 10, verse 1. It says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year after year, make perfect those who draw near. That's how they would do it in the, the Old Covenant. The high priest would have to go in on the Day of Atonement and make sacrifices continually. Verse 2, Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So, Mike, to your point, that's impossible under that old covenant. That's why Jesus came and he established this new, better covenant, because it can take away sins. Jumping down to verse 10, it says, By this will, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time. It says standing. Did you catch that? Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he, Jesus, has perfected for all time those who were sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart. And on their mind, I will write them. Then he says, in their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. So again, we're seeing these spiritual aspects of the new covenant, the spiritual transformation, forgiveness of sins. Um, these are applied currently to the church. The physical aspects are going to uh, be fulfilled by God. He's still going to be faithful to fulfill these physical promises that he made to Israel. That's still yet to come. Uh, but he is good, he is God, he is faithful to fulfill those as well. Uh, jumping down to reading verse 29. It says, How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? Again, just a, another testament to the superiority of this new covenant and the importance that you and I should place upon it. That this is a covenant that has sanctified uh, his people. And it is a covenant that is by the Spirit of grace. This new uh, aspect of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Any 
thoughts or questions on how this covenant is instituted in the blood of Christ? All right. Well, we're just going to look at two passages for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is really sad because the Holy Spirit does all kinds of stuff. And again, uh, his work is so integral to the the new covenant. We have to focus on a lot more. Or we, there's a lot more that we could focus on, but we're just going to look at two. Yes, Jeremy. So thinking about the institution of the new covenant, um, I don't know how I'd answer this question. So I'm just throwing it out there. See oh, thanks. It's instituted by the blood of Christ, the new covenant of his blood. But it didn't start when he first had the spikes driven through his hands and feet. Yeah. So when when he but was like the starting point. Some people do. I think R.C. Sproul will say, well, the church started then. Yeah. I thought R.C. Sproul would put it at 70 AD, like there's that transition period of the end of the age going into the next age. No, I don't think so. I think he says that the church started. Um, but the new covenant. Sorry. Oh. I'm trying to answer my question as I think through it out loud. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would. I would say at at Pentecost when he put the when he uh, began to dwell his people. So were they in the old covenant between? Resurrection and Pentecost. Were they still under the old covenant? I don't know. That's a that's a unique time. Perhaps. What do you think? <laughs> I think probably that's why he he goes back to do that beforehand, and he will place it at. Uh, I don't know if he says it's the the Last Supper or. Uh, actually, on the cross, but I I have a hard time with that, so I would no say. Where you place it, there's problems. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't know. All right, well, let's get two volunteers. Can I get somebody to go to Romans eight and somebody else to go to Ephesians one? We'll look at these two uh, passages and see how the Holy Spirit is involved in the new covenant. Who's got Romans eight two through four for us? All right, thank you. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Amen. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Awesome. That's a great passage. Will you stay there for a second? We'll come back to that in a second. But yeah, we see there uh, that the law was unable to do these things. So not only is Jesus superior to Moses, but the again, the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. Grace is superior to the law. So the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh. Um and Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. I got it. Thank you. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance 
until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. All right. Jeremy just talked about that on Sunday, the, the guarantee, the down payment, the pledge that we have right now, the, the Holy Spirit, and yet there's still uh, more to come. That's just the, the engagement ring, so to speak, of the, the wedding feast that we'll have with Christ in the future. But uh, there's still more to come now. We still have a, a role to play now. So, uh, Stacy, will you, if you're still in Romans 8, will you read verse 5 and then jump down and get 12 and 13 as well? Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And then what? 12 and 13, please. I'm getting so old, I can't see. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All right. So if we just look back at verse 2, it says that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And that's absolutely true. The Holy Spirit has set us free. He has done what uh, the old covenant was unable to do. But that doesn't mean that we have nothing to do, that we just sit back on our hands. Uh in verses 12 and 13 say um, that you are living according to the flesh and you must die but if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body uh, something we have to constantly do the whole work and uh, process of sanctification is something that the Holy Spirit does in us and enables us to do by his power in his strength we have to constantly be working uh, as we're being aided along by the Holy Spirit to uh, see ourselves sanctified. We see that same thing uh, a little bit later on back in Ephesians as well. Ephesians 1, 18 to 19, uh, Paul again talking says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So we do have a calling, we do have an inheritance. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Again, these things in accordance with the working of the strength of the might of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who has already sealed us, who has already uh, baptized us into the body of Christ. And yet we are still striving to, uh, to find ourselves in this uh, favored position. And, to know what is the hope of his calling. And this leads us right into uh, this fourth point, that we are ministers of the new covenant. So let's turn over to 2 Corinthians. And I promise I'll be quicker going through this passage than Jeremy was. <laughs> In 2 Corinthians 3. <laughs> uh. <laughs> what was that, three or four weeks? It was a while. There's a lot in this passage. Long <laughs> That's true. It wasn't long enough. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Second Corinthians three six through eleven. Could somebody grab that for us, please? Second Corinthians three six through eleven. <laughs> Sufficient for such a 
such a one is this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary you should rather forgive and comfort him, otherwise such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him, for to this end also I wrote, so that I might put you to the test. Are you lost or am I? <laughs> Are you in chapter 7? 2 Corinthians 3. Three. Yeah. I was in two. Oh. I'm sorry, this isn't the Bible I normally use, guys. Apologize. <laughs> chapter three, six through eleven. With the servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses, because of the glory of his face fading as it was. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even with more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. All right, just in those few short verses there are a couple of words that are repeated over and over again did you guys catch them glory glory right over and over and what else what's that ministry yeah fading and ministry so uh we do see here that we have a, a ministry that we are servants of the new covenant we have this ministry that uh, is given to us. We'll get into this even more as we get into chapter 5, that we are ambassadors of this new covenant, that we have a, a ministry of reconciliation to act as uh, little mini-mediators, I guess, between a, a lost and dying world and a holy God. Uh, that is uh, the ministry of the new covenant that you and I as Christians are uh, tasked with. And it is again, towards the end of this passage, it is a, a glorious ministry, a, a ministry that is even more glorious because, once again, the new covenant is far more glorious than the old covenant. Then, last passage we'll go to tonight, I'll read for us from Hebrews chapter 12. Okay, go ahead. I'll back up to the first mine starts in the number of sins. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we, if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, it's 24, right? Oh, 29, I'm sorry. Through the end chapter. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. 
For our God is a consuming fire. All right, so God is going to shake things up again, says once more. But those things which remain, or which cannot be shaken, may remain. Uh, thinking back maybe to uh, chapter 6 of Hebrews, it talks about how uh, God swore by himself because there's nobody greater that he could have swore by. So in making this covenant uh, with Abraham, God swore by himself. It was an unconditional promise so that uh, by two unchangeable things, this covenant might be made. That is that God is unchangeable, that he has made a promise and he gave an oath for this promise. And uh, just back what we looked at a little while ago in chapter 8, that God has given this new covenant, this better covenant. These things are unshakable. They're, they're not going to go away because God has promised that these things are going to go away. So this new covenant, which once again was originally given to Israel very specifically, uh, we as Christians, as a church, the New Testament church, we find ourselves being grafted into this new covenant, being welcomed in and being a part of this new covenant, which is established in the the blood of Christ, this covenant that, uh, like like everything else, uh, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sins, has to be established by the blood of Christ. And Jesus being not only the, the one who offers his sacrifice as the priest, the high priest, and not only the, the sacrifice itself, uh, but he's also this the mediator of this new covenant. And he has given us the responsibility of joining in this uh, mediatorial work. We have a, a ministry of reconciliation because the Holy Spirit is residing within us. He is the one who is working this new covenant out within our hearts. And uh, we are to, to go to a, a lost and dying world and to share with them so that they too can have the, the Holy Spirit reside within them and they can be grafted into this new covenant that will ultimately come full circle and uh, come back here to this third point, the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. So uh, I know there's this kind of weird dual aspect of the, the spiritual stuff that's already going on now, the physical stuff that's going on uh, in the future, but it all ties back into the, the new covenant. And these other covenants that we've looked at before, again, they, they tie into the new covenant all these promises that God has made are going to ultimately be fulfilled in this new and better covenant made by better promises by a better mediator who is Christ. That's a lot of stuff, but it's about all I have for today for the new covenant. So you guys have any thoughts or questions before we close out? Sound like you need a smorgle or something. Yeah, something. I don't know what I need. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I wish I knew. All right, well, that is about as far as we're going to go in talking about the biblical covenants, the ones that we can actually find and defend with the Bible. Next week, we're going to get into some extra biblical covenants. We're going to talk about the covenants that uh, the covenantal theological system uh, puts forth the covenant of redemption and works and grace which you'd be hard pressed to find in your Bible and so as many weeks as we spent going over these covenants we're just going to spend one week going over these other ones because there's not as much uh, flipping and 
passage reading for those ones. So we'll get there next week. Be sure to bring all your questions about those different covenants and we'll cover that.